0: Hi, I'm Sherry Ring. I'm the lead coach for HOSPO Health, which is a health and wellbeing program developed specifically for the Tasmanian hospitality industry. HOSPO Health includes weekly videos, a range of helpful fact sheets to download and this podcast series. All of these can be accessed online at hospohealth.com.au. We're also delivering face-to-face workshops around Tasmania focusing on team building activities. If you work in the hospitality industry, then HOSPO Health is for you and about you. Hi, welcome to HOSPO Health. I'm Sherry, I'm the lead coach. Today, I'll be talking to Sarah Dawkins. Sarah is a clinical psychologist and the co-director of Pracademia. She's also one of the HOSPO Health Lead Coaches. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me along today. Thanks for coming. So, Sarah... Maybe we'll we'll start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and about Pracademia and what you do. Yeah, sure.
1: So as you said in the intro there, Sherry, I'm a a clinical psychologist. Um, That's what I originally trained in and then went back and did a a PhD in workplace mental health and more recently have joined Pracademia, which is a knowledge translation boutique consultancy. Uh, So what that means is that as academics, we are working with organisations to, to take, I guess, the best practice approaches from research and, and translate those into practical ways for, for workplaces and employees, particularly in the area of workplace mental health.
0: Yeah, it's such a clever name. I love it. And I love what you're doing, Sarah.
1: Yeah, no, it is, it's a clever play on words, you know, taking that real you know, academic background, but making it practical uh, for workplaces and employees.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Sarah, I might just start with asking you, what are some of the challenges specific to the hospitality industry in relation to alcohol and other drugs?
1: Yeah, sure, Sherry. So it's often difficult to pinpoint one specific factor, and that's regardless of of industry when we're talking about the risk for alcohol and other drug misuse. But when we're talking about the hospitality industry, I guess we can sort of see that there are specific factors that do place workers in the industry at a heightened risk for alcohol and other drug misuse. And a lot of those factors relate to the the nature of the work that they're doing. Mm. You know, when we think about hospitality work, it's often working really long hours, uh, irregular hours, you know, e- evenings, weekends, late nights that don't, you know, take people away from, I guess, a, a typical social and, and family life. People also that work in the industry often talk about the the pressure of working in the industry as well. You know, it's a pretty exciting uh, industry and um, lots of fantastic opportunities, but it's also an industry that is, you know, demands a lot. and It's high pressure and yeah, people describe it as a, a pressure cooker environment, excuse the pun, and that places people under increased um, stress and, and working under stress for, for prolonged periods of time and that really you know puts a lot of load on our, our stress systems and alcohol and, and other drugs can be seen as a, a way of unwinding from that pressure or getting a bit of relief from that pressure. Also, we know that the industry is more susceptible to, you know, abuse, verbal abuse, maybe from customers or clients, but also unfortunately within the workplace as well from from co-workers and that, you know, there, there might be a little bit of a culture that that's kind of acceptable behaviour, but particularly, where, you know, coupled with the fact that we often have a lot of younger people working in the industry, you know, maybe it's their, their first job as well, that's a pretty tough, tough environment to be going into as well. So again, just that, vulnerability to to increase stress and trying to handle that and and again alcohol and drugs being seen as a way of coping or dealing with that pressure. Also we know from the research that particularly within male hospitality workers there's a a bit of a a social norm around particularly around drinking and that that's seen as a way of connecting with their co-workers and also I guess fulfilling that masculinity stereotype within the industry as well. So there's some sort of social norms there that that increase the risk as well. And just coming back to that point too on, about younger workers, you know, the, the industry, given its nature, is often a, a I guess a, a ground for, for younger workers to enter the workforce. You know, the fact that it often does involve late nights and a regular shifts, you know, naturally that suits you know younger people that perhaps don't have dependents and and families. But it can mean, like I was saying before, that they're exposed to a lot of stresses that perhaps they haven't had to handle before or perhaps haven't had the opportunity to develop some more adaptive coping strategies. And then you know that coupled with the availability of, of alcohol and other drugs within the industry, just because of the proximity of pubs and restaurants to, to other um, nighttime venues and, and nightclubs, just means that there, there is that increased vulnerability
0: yeah Sarah that sort of knocking off at the end of the night and having a drink is is quite normal in the hospitality industry heading off for a smoke o and young people are smoking are still smoking a lot is that right?
1: Yeah that's right I think we're seeing some changes in types of smoking you know we're seeing the emergence of vaping more and more among young people and perhaps a bit of a misconception that that's a safer way of of smoking than you know traditional smoking and we also know from the research that w- within the hospitality industry, going for a break and, and having a smoke o break is actually seen as more acceptable than just going and having a break just to chill out. So, you know, there's those norms around what you do when you have a break, when you're working in the hospitality industry that, yeah, you just go out and have a, a cigarette, maybe with a, a co-worker or even possibly a, a drink as well, even while on shift. So there is some research to suggest that that's still quite a, a commonplace and acceptable workplace behaviour. How can Um, people
0: get around that?
1: Yeah, sure, it's really tricky. And I guess what I would say is that it's not up to any one individual. It it really is a, a collective approach that workplaces need to be doing some actions as well as individual employees. I guess, you know, for individual employees... We want to sort of take a harm minimisation approach, you know, particularly when we're talking about young people, it's really difficult to say, well, just don't drink and not realistic at all. So thinking about monitoring your your drinking behaviour in particular. So just be really mindful of whether your drinking is is maybe gradually increasing um, and and taking steps to perhaps try and reduce the, the number of drinks you're having and whether that means, you know maybe reducing the, the number of nights or, or shifts where you're, you're hanging back for after work drinks, maybe just doing it a couple of times a week or the number of drinks that you're having per session and alternating it with a, a non-alcoholic drink for example. From the workplace perspective there's there's a lot of steps that workplaces can take to try and change the culture around alcohol and, and particularly around using alcohol during and after a shift. And that starts with, you know, looking at your, your policy around um, not just workplace mental health and safety, but specifically around alcohol and other drug use uh, in the workplace. And a policy, you know, can be beautifully written and um, fantastic, really comprehensive, but unless your employees actually know about it and know what it entails, it's pointless. So it actually needs to be enacted as well. Um, and so when, you know, new, new people are brought onto the team or into the
0: organisation – making sure that they're aware of the policy and and understand it as well. And what about if you're a small business, a small cafe or something like that, and you don't have all those policies in place?
1: Yeah, sure. That's absolutely a real challenge for for small businesses. But it's still really an important part of of any business, regardless of of size. And starting, you know, maybe with just a a consultation with with your staff around what, what that should look like as well. Getting their input, so that's going to, to help make it, like I was saying before, be lived in practice as well. But also perhaps getting some, some assistance from external experts or uh, organisations, WorkSafe, for example, is you know something that any business can, can access and a great first step or stop to, to get information about, okay, well, what, what does a policy even need to include yeah. and what do our practices actually need to look like so that they're not only
0: you know, good for our staff, but also meet the the legal obligations as well. Sarah, outside of the policies, what can employers do to educate their staff?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because I guess the policy is like a a framework and then we need to hang other things off that. So education and training is a really important part or piece of the puzzle. Um, And particularly, again, just thinking about the fact that we see a lot of younger workers join the hospitality industry. And, and as I was saying earlier, for a lot of them, that's their, their first work experience. So opportunities to build in education and training, not just around alcohol um, and other drug misuse, but more broadly around mental health and wellbeing, I think is really important. And as one of fantastic example at the moment, the THA are providing access, free access, I believe, to yes. um, mental health first aid. And that's a really good grounding in, in mental health literacy for people and particularly for young people who might not have ha- picked that up in, in other lines of uh, employment or in their, their education. So a good grounding in, in mental health knowledge that's that's really important for understanding you know, the impact of stress on our our mental health and wellbeing and how that, you know, if we don't get uh, support or if we don't develop adaptive strategies for dealing with stress, then we can start to see problems like alcohol and drug misuse, depression, anxiety um, begin to emerge.
0: And we've also got on the hospital health we've got yourself and Dr Angela Martin and Adam Nebs all talking specifically about mental health.
1: Yeah yep yep so we're all very passionate about that interface between work and uh, mental health and you know knowing that work can actually have a real positive impact on our mental health when it is uh, you know a safe and healthy work environment and our, our jobs are designed in a way that are healthy and safe and, and good for us but we also know that you know when that's not true, we can start to see those detrimental impacts on people's mental health and wellbeing. So, yes, all very passionate about that space. And, you know, Pracademia does a lot in that space as well around not just the the policy and the strategy development but also that practical training for for managers and for employees around workplace mental health and wellbeing.
0: Mm. And, and on that, Sarah, I know I've been telling a lot of my clients that you can go to the doctor and get a, a mental health plan. And then, you know, their response is, we can't get into the doctor, mm. we can't get into a psychologist. What can people do? Yeah, absolutely. That's a real challenge, particularly here in Tasmania
1: at the moment. Um, you know, people waiting six to eight weeks just to get into their regular, or any GP actually, not mm. not even their usual GP. And that's what people need to do to be able to access a mental health care plan to see a, a psychologist if they're wanting to um, get the Medicare rebate, which reduces the cost of, of seeing a psychologist. So... Uh, that's that's frustrating, both for for people wanting to access uh, help and also for uh, healthcare providers wanting yeah. to give that that help. But there are other other services that people can access, more that don't require a GP referral. So community based supports, uh, you know, locally we've got places like Holyoke and Anglicare that uh, provide specialised alcohol and other drugs supports. We have. Local counselling services, you know, Relationships Australia is one example um, that provide general counselling support. There's also some really fantastic and reputable information out there online. But again, I'd encourage people to to look at you know reputable sites, you know, yes. sites that are um, maybe government funded. The the Drug and Alcohol Foundation, for example, is a really good starting point. There's also some great apps out there as well, so people can sort of use self-guided resources particularly for for trying to reduce their alcohol use uh, so there's the Hello Sunday Morning app people uh, have heard from from clients that they find that you know really quite a useful app but also from just people who are you know perhaps not accessing psychological support but just being very mindful of their alcohol consumption and maybe wanting to reduce that yeah. so I'd, I'd encourage people to look at other forms of support obviously, you know, the best practice is to have your GP involved, um, particularly when you're, you're making pretty significant lifestyle changes and, and having, you know, personalised, tailored support in in the form of a, a psychologist. But I wouldn't uh, want to see people waiting too long um, without any other support in the, in the meantime. So thinking about other forms of support that they can access while they're waiting to get in to see their GP.
0: Yeah, that's great to know. Sarah, look, it's been really interesting chatting to you today. I guess just to wrap things up, because you just share some advice that you would give to employees and employers in the industry. Yeah, sure.
1: I think start small. Whether we're talking about an individual worker wanting to change their their drinking or drug use behaviors, you know, obviously we when we're trying to make lifestyle changes, we want to we want to be there. You know, yeah. we want to be at the end point straight away. But we actually know that to make sustainable change, actually the small steps are the really important ones, getting those, you know, down pat. So, yeah, looking for, for support, getting help along the way and making those small incremental changes is, is really
0: important. But yeah, Like do- adding those AFDs, you know, each week.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yep. But not feeling like you've got to do it alone either. Yeah. Like We mentioned those um, support options earlier you know, seeking that support because it's hard making making change. It is hard. So yeah, getting that help along the way. For employers, same, same message. Start small. It can feel very overwhelming whenever uh, workplaces are trying to maybe uh, make changes in the workplace mental health and wellbeing space. It feels like they need to do everything at once and particularly I think in the current climate because we're sort of seeing some legislative reforms as yeah. well and uh, you know it just all feels critical in amongst, you know, their, their business as usual stuff as well. So, yeah, start small. Look at what you've already got in place and build on that. And, yeah, maybe if, if you can, look at getting some external support and advice as well uh, because it is, you know, it is a pretty specialised area. It's not, you know, usually what business owners have gone into to mm-hmm. business for. You know, they've gone in to, to run their business. Yes, um, of course. But, but this is a really important part of, of keeping a, a healthy and sustainable business moving forward.
0: And a lot of the time your people are your business anyway.
1: Absolutely. Yep, your number one assets are really important to look after them and to look after yourself as well as the business
0: owner. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks, Sherry. And Thank look, if the listeners want to hear a little bit more from Sarah, you can go to the Hospo Health website and there are lots of resources there. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Sherry. The Hospo Health program is brought to you by the Tasmanian Hospitality Association. I'm Sherry Ring. Thanks for listening to today's podcast and I'll catch you next time.